Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is the Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Danny Gobi-Reeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is still off this week, but that doesn't mean we don't have some great content for you guys. This week, we're returning to our combat countdown that we do every single year. The top five unranked fighters most likely to get a title shot in this calendar year. We'll also be recapping last year's, which we did pretty darn well on as well. And in addition to all that, I'm giving you guys the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is the man himself, Jim Miller, who joins the show to talk about UFC 300 and his upcoming fight next weekend. And then we'll be talking to Weston Wilson, who is also on that UFC Vegas 84 card. But before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. This is a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's well, it's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Well, it certainly couldn't hurt. Because Game Up is not a hard seltzer, hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape. It hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak-bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer, and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Jim Miller, who fights Gabriel Benitez at UFC Vegas 84. That fight is on January 13th. So, Jim, I I wanted to start by talking about UFC 300, because a lot has been made of you fighting on this big card coming up in April. You know, a lot of fights being named for that fight card already. And here you are fighting in January, three months before. Kind of a riskier move in all of the grand scheme of that. Was it sort of always the plan to take one at the beginning of the year before that card? Uh, no, the, the, the plan was to fight in like November. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I was trying to get on a card, uh, potentially maybe the, the MSG card, uh, or, or one of these, uh, one of the December cards, um, in my mind that played out a little bit better for me, uh, a little bit easier. You know, my, my last fight was, uh, beginning of June. So, um, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of these, like the long layoffs, you know? So, uh, a majority of the ones that have come in my, in my career ha- have not been because of me, unfortunately. So, um, uh, I feel like I'd have a lot more fights, uh, believe it or not, if, uh, if I got to fight at the pace that I, I wanted to fight at. So, um, for, for me, like, uh, it doesn't, uh, three months in between, uh, is, uh, is fine. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to, to come to this fight. Um, you know, have a, have a good showing, and uh basically just get right back into it and 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 be uh you know slowly you know step it back a bit and then just slowly again prepare for another fight so 
Um, you know, that's the way that, uh, that I used to, uh, get to fight in the UFC. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. That's awesome to hear. Now you, you mentioned, you know, kind of having the right amount of time. Is there a right opponent for UFC 300? I know not looking past Benitez. We're not doing any of that, but mm -hmm. is there a guy on your mind that you ideally would like to have in a perfect world? Um, I mean, in a perfect world, I'd get my opportunity at Connor, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, it, it, there, there, there are a ton of guys, you know, I mean, that's a, it's, it's going to be, uh, a big event. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've said it plenty of times. I'll, I'll fight at 55 seventies. I mean, uh, I, I'd even fight an 85 pounder, honestly, but, uh, it, yeah, like I, I, I don't, really care every opponent has an opportunity to show off my skill set so um you know it'd be it'd be fun to to get in there with somebody that's been uh, a bit and, and you know is just one of these guys that's uh that i've seen fight a bunch you know um the the the, the tonys the matt brown stuff like that um but uh yeah i I'd, I'd uh i'd take patty in a heartbeat too um so you know it really it's it's uh like I said, it's just an opportunity. That's the way I look at it. Um, so, um, yeah, either way, we'll, we'll figure that out, you know, January 14th. For sure. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're going to be the only one, if you do pull this off, to fight at 100, 200, and now 300, unless Brock Lesnar comes back by some, uh, some miracle <laughs> of the world, which I'm assuming is yeah. not happening. Looking back at 100, you know, the fight with Mac Danzig, or, or at 200 even for that matter, with the, the TKO win over Takigomi, mm -hmm. Do you have fond memories of those fight cards? Are they more special than maybe some of your other memories? Um, I mean, not uh, not necessarily. Um, you know, it, it was it was cool to be on UFC 100. Uh, uh, that was my fourth fight in the UFC. It, it, to to be on a card with 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 the 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 names that I was on a card with. That was a that was uh like that was that was big. You know, to be on there with the uh, uh hendo and and you know i'd fought on the card with Bisping at that point but uh you know like all these guys it was it was pretty cool to uh to uh be part of that you know like and, and here i am four fights in i got i got to meet brock lesnar you know at at uh at that event so um yeah it was it was neat to be a part of um i think that uh the 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 best thing about you know 100 was that uh you know this is back they we're talking back in the day, and I think there that there's probably a decent amount of fans that don't understand what MMA was back in 2009. There was no streaming, right? Like it was like you had to go on onto the UFC website and uh, like download the fight or whatever afterwards. And uh, you know, my fight with Mac was uh, it was a bloody one, and it didn't get shown on anything. There there wasn't a uh, you know TV deal. There wasn't a streaming service deal. So uh that for for quite a bit of time that fight was the most downloaded fight off of uc.com because everybody wanted to know why there was so much blood on the octagon uh so yeah it was a, it was it was a cool little uh thing to happen you know from that fight um and like i said it was it was uh it was neat to be a part of uh, such a big event um ufc 200 was uh you know a little bit more of a a, a milestone for me um you know like that uh that I, I was in a really tough place uh in 
in 2016, uh, you know, outside the Octagon, and to go in and fight Gomi, who, when I started training in, in, in fighting MMA, was the number one ranked lightweight on the planet. Uh, and to go in there and, and to fight him, and, uh, you know, I had been diagnosed with Lyme disease uh, right after, or technically right before, uh, UFC 196. Um, and to be kind of like starting my journey out of Lyme disease, which took a lot longer than, uh, than I anticipated. Uh, it, yeah, that personally, that was a, that was a pretty big milestone for me to, to, to one, to go out and, and, and fight the guy that, uh, I was training to fight, you know, in, in 2005 when, when I started, like, this is the guy that I wanted to fight. Um, and then to also like start overcoming this this illness that uh that uh, had been kicking my ass for a couple of years yeah that's awesome to hear now i, I want to bring it back to what you said about the streaming area and sort of people being able to see your fights mm-hmm. all the time and not that you're on the prelims all that often anymore but you know people being able to see all of the fights so to speak versus back mm-hmm. in the day you know we had the the facebook prelims back in the day for a brief yeah. moment we had the pitch dark prelims that you'd never see yeah. all the way back in the day what what is it like for you as a fighter and in fan interaction nowadays? How, how is that so much different from when you were there? Do you notice it? Is it do people seem to know people's names better? What what is it like for you to have lived through all that? Um, I, it's uh, it's weird. It's weird <laughs> because it's like you know I think what ends up happening now is that it's so easy to see the 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 short little like uh you know um couple seconds of a finish or or of a good technique that people uh, myself included I, I i do it all the time as well like i don't catch the fights all the time you know i, I the last thing i want to do is stay up you know past midnight i'd rather be in bed at, at 10 o'clock uh so so i don't see a lot of fights and i feel like there's a lot of fans that don't see a lot of the whole fight um and we're just picking out the you know those moments so if there, if you're in a good tough fight and there isn't one of those spectacular moments, a spectacular finish, um, I I feel like it it kind of just gets uh, uh, a a good performance might get glossed over. So it's a it's a weird spot. It it, it honestly is because it it's so accessible, but because it's so accessible and because of the way that uh, social media has has uh, uh, maybe taking advantage of the way that our brains work. Right. Uh, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, my, like I said, myself included, all I want to see is you have know, 10, 15 seconds. So, uh, it's, uh, it's, an, it's an odd spot. It's an odd spot. Cause, uh, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. <laughs> Cause do, it's like, you... not, everybody's not watching the whole fight, you know? So <laughs> it's like, there's a lot that goes on when, uh, you know, it, it, yeah. Okay. You, you land a good, you go, land a good punch or something like that, knock somebody out. But it's like, well, there's, there's also build up to that, you know, like <laughs> as, as a student of the game, we should be watching that stuff too. Do you feel like you've gotten a bigger pop in your recent fights then? Because, you know, not for anything, you're four and one in your last five, four finishes, two performance of the night bonuses. Have, have you felt like you've gotten like sort of a bigger pop and more hype behind yourself following those, you know, big, exciting finishes that do wind up on social media? Um, yeah, I, I I think so. Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, it, when when I've I you know being able to have those those moments, those those uh, you know v- whatever you want to call 
viral moments or whatever, uh, you know, during fights. Um, yeah, it, it there's definitely it, it does help. It does help, you know, the 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 push and the you know follower count and all this stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just cool to go out and perform, you know. For sure. <laughs> like that's a, that, that's the biggest thing that I you know that uh, that that I'm concerned about is going out there and and uh, living up to the expectations that I put on myself. For sure. Now you, you we just talked about you being four and one, two performance of the night bonuses in that five fight span. We're talking about a fight with Mowgli Benitez that should you come out on mm-hmm. top, we're talking five and one fight at ufc 300 you've kind of hinted at you know like ufc 300 being close to the end but with mm-hmm. a run like this you know with a, a five and one run or if should you win it you have you know put these back to back a six in one run mm-hmm. do you feel that pull that you have to still keep going that you have to make one more crazy run at this at the end of your career um yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh you know like i i put it out there that yeah i wanted to get to ufc 300 uh this is like a few years ago and uh it, at that time it was like okay like if i can if i can drag myself to that line uh we can we can hang them up and there's definitely there's parts of me that's ready to um but like you said if i if i go into 300 five and one that's a really tough decision to make <laughs> so you know like uh I'm, I'm trying to, I'm figuring out this whole thing of like training and, and competing as a, as a, an older athlete. Uh, you know, my plan was never to be fighting at 40, 41, you know? So, uh, like I, I had told myself in the beginning, 34 is it, you know? So, um, we're, we're well beyond that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, like still even what I want, right. Cause I, 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 I want to, I want to have these these couple fights where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the gym all the time, you know, and I'm, and I'm living that lifestyle again, uh, because there is a lot that can pull me away from, from, uh, from training. Um, but the hard part too, is that like nowadays when I'm, when I'm training, I have like it, I have to focus on training. Like that has to be like, there's nothing else going on. And it, and it, uh, it makes it hard to do the other stuff, get all the other stuff done, you know? So just, it, it becomes a balancing act, but, um, yeah, maybe we just see how it goes and, uh, uh, you know, like three, 300 will be 44 UFC fights. Well, 45 is a nice cleaner number, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then if you're a 45 fifties right around the corner, uh, but, but yeah, there's like, like I said, there are definitely, there are definitely parts of me that's like ready. Like I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I'm excited to make that decision and to know that I'm going into my last fight like that. The, the, the idea of that gets me excited. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, like, there's a lot of like, not to be like cheesy, but like, there's a lot of gratitude in the fact that I still get to compete and, and, uh, have figured out a way to, to still perform, you know, uh, uh, at my best, even though like what I am now has changed from what it was, you know, like, I mean, I was ranked in the top 10 in the world and, 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 you know, before the UFC rankings, the, uh, some of the independent rankings had me in the, in the top five and, uh, I was a different fighter then. And I know that I'm not that guy anymore. I feel like I could beat that guy, but he, he's got a lot of, he's got some weapons that I don't have anymore. You know? <laughs> so, so, uh, I've had, to, I've had to change. I've had to change things. And, and now I have weapons that that guy doesn't have. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to, to get to fight. Like I, I, I get the opportunity. I've earned this opportunity to continue to do it. And by, by making, decisions and using my head um 
and being a little lucky, uh, I, I've been able to uh, still, you know, be competing at a, at a high level towards uh, towards the end of my career. So let's see. Let's see what we can do with it. I like that. Now, you, you mentioned in there changing a little bit of the way that you prepare and mm -hmm. some of it being the mental focus on it. It's got to be the only thing on your mind. Are there different things physically that you feel like you've had to kind of do in order to make sure that you're ready come fight night and not, you know, infinitely banged up? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, I have a I have I have a list. Right. <laughs> I didn't write it down anywhere, but I have I have a list. Right. Like uh, my my four priorities when I'm when I'm training for a fight. Uh Priority number one is to be healthy, right? Like if, if I'm not healthy, uh, then I'm going to not be able to fight the way that I'm capable of fighting or like has happened even recently is I create bad habits. Um, you know, if, if, if I'm dealing with something that's affecting the way that I trained for six to eight weeks before fight, it's going to, it's going to come out in that fight. You can't just turn it off. If it's only two weeks prior to the fight, well, maybe we, you know, you, you get into the octagon and, and you kind of forget that, oh, my knees, my knees fucked up <laughs> or, you know, like my, my neck's been banged up. So I haven't been wrestling all that much, but I'm still going to go out there and do it where if you have that time of having to deal with that change and that, that game plan difference, uh, it, it will affect you negatively. But, um, yeah, being healthy is number one. Number two is being in shape. If I'm healthy and in shape, I'm, I'm trouble for anybody. Uh, and then, then it comes down to my game, like doing the things that I'm good at and drilling the things that I'm good at so that they, it, they happen faster. They happen without, without having to think, uh, you know, if I, if I hadn't really been training and, and then, then maybe the guillotine is not going to be as fast or, or, uh, you know, the left hand's not going to snap as quickly. Um, and like, for me, the last thing is what my opponent brings to the octagon. Honestly, like I'd, I'd rather... It's like, oh, well, you know, this guy, this guy, uh, whatever, throws, throws a lot of, uh, let's, let's say I'm fighting Barbosa and it's like, he just, he throws a lot of spinning kicks. I don't like, I don't like having training partners that are throwing things at me that don't have a pad on them, <laughs> you know, cause the last thing you need to do is get cut before a fight. Um, so like, I'm not just going to have people spin and try to take my head off with, with, uh, with wheel kicks and stuff like that. I'd rather just be healthy in shape and working on my stuff and then and then we'll trickle it in there we'll, we'll get it because uh what seems to happen more often than not especially these days is that my opponent changes so uh <laughs> you know you, you spend you spend two months preparing for a very specific uh fight plan and all this stuff and then at the drop of a hat you know now you're fighting somebody uh brand new so uh yeah like i i think i think that training as uh a veteran fighter um you know because it's not just the age it's the miles as well right it's the repetitions it's the it's the the multiple training camps that really that beat you up um it's all about compromise and 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 uh you know kind of figuring that stuff out so um you know i i know that i can hop on the bike you know in the other room and 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 get some work in if if other things are banged up so that's what i do uh if if i if i need it if i need to stay away from the young guys and, and banging myself up at uh, at a live practice, then I make that decision and I hop on the bike and I get some conditioning in. I love it. I love it. So I, I want to talk about that matchup with Benitez too, because obviously mm -hmm. uh, that's part of what brought us here. Before I do, I'm a guy who loves hearing the story of MMA nicknames. 
you're a guy who I've heard, you know, I've, <laughs> I've seen fight a billion times. Mm-hmm. And up until like, I think it was like probably three or four years ago, maybe five years ago, didn't hear a mm-hmm. nickname in between Jim and Miller, just heard Jim yeah. and Miller. Then we started yeah. getting A-10 in there. Do you mind giving us the story of when, when that popped in and why that popped in? Um, You know, uh, uh, I haven't done a very good job of it, but branding, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, 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 it's probably been said plenty of times about, uh, you know, me and I, I, I think I'm recalling one specific thing. My name's Jim Miller. So it, it's not, it's not catchy. It's not, uh, it, it's not something that's uh, going to stick in your mind. Um, so, yeah. So it was kind of just one of those things like, Hey, let's figure something out. And, uh, you know, uh, I do have, I do have all this, you know, I, like, I don't have it out yet, but I've got all these, uh, like, you know, apparel stuff that I was going to, I do and all this shit that uh you know uh <laughs> trainings gets in the way but uh yeah uh, uh you know it was like my my brother dan uh we always we always called him uh the beefalo uh you know so it, he's just big and doesn't know his own size and stuff like that so uh and he's a little more docile than a, than a buffalo but uh so i was like well if he's if he's the beefalo uh, then i'm i'm the i'm the warthog i'm short smelly hairy and ugly you know but uh not to be not to be fucked with and uh i was like well do i really want to be a warthog it's like oh, well so i always i always loved the, the the a10 uh like growing up i had a poster of it on my wall and stuff and they're 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 pretty badass and uh i, I kind of think it uh, you know it's a good example of of me i'm not the i'm not the most nimble uh you know fighter out there but uh you know i'm I could take a beating and, 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 uh, I need to be, I need to be respected because I will, I will mess things up if given the opportunity. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Now let, let's talk about Mowgli Benitez here. He's a guy who has kind of taken to going out on his shield, right? His last mm-hmm. two losses by brutal knockout, his last three wins, get this brutal knockout, right? Mm-hmm. So like, he's a guy who goes in there and just absolutely throws is that the kind of fight you like to be looking for at this stage in your career? Is that something you like more when you were young? How, how do you feel about him stylistically here? Uh, I love it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I do well in those fights. Um, you know, so the, the, the more forward he wants to come, the more aggressive he wants to make that fight, the, the, the better I do. So, uh, yeah, uh, stylistically I'm, I'm excited for it. You know, he's definitely a great striker. Um, you know, and he, and he does have the ability to land some submissions. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, uh, I've been proving my striking ability, ability in the last couple of fights. And, uh, I think when it hits the mat, I, I will have a clear advantage. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the firefights. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the more, the, the more sketchy it is, the, the, the better I seem to do. <laughs> I love it. Now, I usually like to end these things with a prediction. You seem sit pretty loose about how this gets done, but do you feel like logic one here for me, January thirteenth? How do you see it getting done? Um, I, you know, I, I see this one being being a being a clash, you know, and and being violent, um, you know, because he doesn't back down. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna go in there. We're gonna we're gonna punch each other. We're gonna kick each other, and. Uh, at some point I'm going to, I'm going to make him make a mistake and I'm going to capitalize, you know? And, and, uh, I, I try not to see too much, 
you know, uh, especially when it comes to the good stuff, for whatever reason, a little bit of a, you know, I, I like to be hard on myself and, and uh, I prepare to get through the tough times. And, uh, you know, I know that when I have those opportunities, I will pounce on them. So, uh, yeah, I've seen a, a, a tough, violent, fast fight and uh, I'm going to come out with my hammers. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This is Ben Jim Miller, who fights Gabriel Benitez, UFC Vegas 84. Once again, that fight, January 13th. Jim, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Jim Miller. I once again am Daniel Covey Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, me and Jim just got done talking quite a bit about UFC 300, the chance of him fighting on it, but... I wanted to ask you this question. With it seemingly only a few months away, right? We're talking about April's time. We got almost nothing booked for it outside of Cody Brundage versus Bo Nickel, if that uh, that tickles your fancy. What are your kind of hopes and dreams for what UFC 300 becomes? Uh, yeah, so great question here. Four months out, they haven't revealed much. And of course, the curse of taping and then releasing later, they're probably going to like release <laughs> everything in the next few hours. We're taping on Tuesday, uh, January 2nd, and they're going to you know, unload on us with a ton of great fight cards. I think they get the importance of it. I know that when the Fertitas came on board uh, and Dana, they tried to get rid of the numbered events. Didn't really make much sense, obviously, but fans still wanted it. And they did great with UFC 100 and UFC 200. Although 200 really, to me, when I think back on it, if I can go off on a side tangent for a second, kind of a dark card in a way. Uh, first of all, the cage with the gold cage, that was wild. <laughs> I hope they bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be kind of cool. Uh, but with Jones not being on it and then Anderson Silva fighting DC, it was just so weird. Um, but that was out of their control. They had the right fight booked for it with DC and Jones. And then Lesnar coming back and popping for steroids. I kind of almost appreciated it. It's so wild. Don't ever try to call this thing a real sport. It's pure entertainment uh, and somewhat sport. But that being said, I think they know what's at stake or they know what the fans' expectations are. Um, so I heard a rumor that it will be Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad for 170. That title fight doesn't exactly thrill me. Bilal Muhammad doesn't really have like finishing ability. It just feels like something that's going to go to a judge's decision. But it's a good fight and the next fight, logical fight to make in that division. So that's a good start. Putting Bo Nickel on it, he's an up-and-coming fighter. We think he might be the future of the division. So, it, it, he, and I'm not one of those people, let's say, like, I think the jury's still out. But if he is, you want to get those people on the, those types of big cards for historical reasons. So I actually do think that Bo Nickel fight is good to be there. And then you already mentioned it. Jim Miller needs to be on this card just from like a legacy standpoint. The only other thing I'll throw out is I think Nate Diaz is out there. I think he could be on this card. That could kind of be the... Uh, you know, super fight, if you will, like something that doesn't really have title implications, but it's a big name coming back. I could see him being on it. What about you? So I will just say quickly, because I, I pulled it up while you were talking. They have also announced two other fights. Yuri Prohoshka versus Alexander Rajic. Fun fight at light heavyweight. You know, just fun to have on there. And then you got Aljamain Sterling making his featherweight debut against Ke Calvin Cater. That's also a pretty good one. So before I completely knock that they haven't booked anything, those are two pretty entertaining fights. Could be like pay-per-view opener types on this. Um, but to but back to your point, you know, like I, I completely agree with you. I, I think the Bilal Muhammad versus Leon Edwards fight has to be on there. It seems like timing wise, it works out. I personally, again, like you said, I, I don't necessarily see it as a 
uh, a fight that can headline this, right? We need something bigger than that to headline this. Uh, I think you'll probably see one of the women's divisions uh, up for grabs here. You know, whoever wins that women's bantamweight fight, that could be their first defense. Or, you know, we got nothing booked for Li Zhang right now. That certainly could be on there. I'm also going to throw this around because, you know, you mentioned super fights and, you know, Nate Diaz's name is out there. Conor McGregor's name's out there. You know, Jorge Masvidal just tweeted this morning. Uh, I'm unretired now. Like all of those names are out there for potentially exciting fights. But I think what this thing needs to headline is like a legacy ass title fight at the top, right? Because that that's the thing that if, if you go back, you know, maybe UFC 100 had it, but UFC 200 kind of like lacked that, so to speak, you know, like it didn't have that like fight that you were like, this is a historic ass fight in the division or a historic ass fight for the UFC, you know, DC versus, uh, you know, Anderson Silva or Amanda Nunes, who'd she beat up? Misha Tate that night. Like, yeah, yeah that, neither of those does it for me. So what that we need is, and, and, I, and personally, I don't even want this fight. You know, I, I'm going to come out and say, this is not a fight I hope the UFC books, but this is the type of fight they need to headline it. And that's something like Alex Pajeda versus Izzy Adesanya 3 at light heavyweight for the light heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. Like they, they need something that's an absolute banger like that something big something maybe we didn't necessarily a hundred percent see coming something that maybe isn't even the logical next move you know i i think they're leaving open the idea of possibly islam makashev you know going up a weight class and challenging leon edwards i think that's why we haven't heard Bilal confirmed yet again i think Bilal is the logical next challenger but i think they want to see one of those like Man, what would have happened if these two guys fought? You know, like almost try to recapture some of the magic that we missed by not putting GSP in the cage with Anderson Silva. Yeah, yeah I think they kind of learned their lesson with that. Is like you got to strike when the iron's hot with those things. Um, I love that idea, actually. I, you know, I'm one of those people that likes like logical title challengers um, and keeping things within the division and not having too many people like jump up in weight classes and because it messes up two divisions in essence. But I love that idea of Makachev coming up against Leon Edwards because I think it's a more intriguing matchup than Bulil Muhammad is. So uh, I'm all for that. And, you know, I just think they do need like if GSP is not coming back and I, you know, at this point he's too old, same thing with Lesnar. And we know that Connor who, I mean, listen, Connor's one in three in the last seven years, but he's a big name. So I'm just trying to think of like their top tier kind of stars. If we already know that Connor's fighting later in the summer, so he's out. Lesnar's too old. Rousey, I think, is somewhat of a head case. I don't think she's coming back. I don't think anyone wants to see her come back. I don't think that would go well for her. GSP too old. So to me, you know, it's like Nate would be the guy for me as just far as like a big name goes. Um, And I don't think his skill is like that great that I'm like dying to see Nate Diaz in a fight. But just from like a legacy name perspective, that's the one I throw out there. And the other one would be John Jones. I mean, if you could get John Jones on that card, what's what I can't even remember right now. He's a torn torn peck. That's not happening. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. I I will say the, the name that I really thought was going to be a big move for UFC 300 just because of, you know, like the star power and the draw power that he seems to be quickly gaining i thought it was going to be sean o'malley um and of course they've now booked him for the title fight at 299 so it isn't going to be sean o'malley but it did kind of surprise me that they they missed the opportunity to hype who 
could potentially be the next one of those guys who we talk about being a legacy guy. I'm not saying necessarily from a skill standpoint, but definitely from a marketing standpoint. You know, uh, Daniel Cormier is only 44. He could come back for <laughs> heavyweights. They could be older. Have you have you seen him cage side lately? I don't he, think he's. I don't think he can make 265. He, I'm going to be honest. You need to get on a training regimen right now. <laughs> he's got four months. Um, yeah, is there any other name like Masvidal? To me, I always found him even at his peak to be a little overhyped. He became one of those like favorite personalities. Um, him coming back does nothing for me. I can't think of any other name that I would want, like, just from a star power perspective. They they do seem to be lacking in that area, right? Like, it, it does seem to be an era where they've done well with the brand. And as a result, they maybe are leaving a little bit out in terms of star power. Because like I said, I think the guy right now with the hype, with the star power quality right now, it's Sean O'Malley. And, and you didn't even put him on that card. I, yeah, I'm... I'm a seller, not a buyer on Sean O'Malley. I think Pajeda is very intriguing right now as a fighter, and Izzy, too. Those are kind of the two, and they have – I like your idea with them and the trilogy, or just getting any of the – one of the two in a fight on that card. I almost feel like those two are the the names right now. Um, when you tell me that John Jones has a torn pack, I can't really think of anyone I find to be like – Oh, I have like who else is one of the people where it's just like I have to see this, but it's those two right now for me. Yeah, I think it's those two. Uh, you know, Makashev is kind of almost entered into that that area yes. too. Yeah. Um, and I I think he's for sure going to be on it if I had to guess. Um, and and then oh, hey. yeah, and obviously fucking um, uh, Poirier. Well, uh, is nice. No, um, why am I blanking on a name right now? Uh, 145-pound champion, one of oh. the best ever. Oh, Volkanovski is—he's already—he's uh, fighting Tapuria in February. I would have dropped that name, but that—that that seems like a quick turnaround, especially after already doing a couple of quick turnarounds. Yeah, I was gonna say, and I cannot believe I blanked on his name, but I do get it in that a lot. Um, Volkanovski. Uh, you know, for me, the Taporia fight is the logical one. That one could have been on the card and I'd be excited about it. But then past that, like, even if he wanted to do a quick turnaround, I don't even know what there is for him that I'd be like, oh, this has to happen. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't need Max Holloway four. you know, no. maybe Brian Ortega two, but like, even or, <laughs> or, or O'Malley coming up to 145. Yeah. But, he, but even then, I don't, I, I don't know that O'Malley is like, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I, again, I think O'Malley's got sort of the star power, but I, I don't know necessarily that he's ready to like start moving up in weight class or anything. Well, this is a perfect segue to our our show today and our combat countdown. Since we don't have fights this weekend, we're going to be breaking out our our favorite segment on the show, or at least tied for it. Uh, it's combat countdown, and we do this every year. Unranked fighters who can go from unranked to a title shot this year. And we did this last year. We've we've had success with this in the past. I'll get to the results from last year at the end of this. Uh, but right now, let's actually get into this combat countdown. Unranked fighters to title shot. Does anyone sponsor it? Absolutely. The combat countdown is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. Make no mistake, it's no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. And it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape. And it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, one gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer, and bring it on home for the team. 
All right, let's uh, get some honorable mentions out of the way before we get to the legit top five that the intern is actually going to take down and calculate who are our honorable mentions here. So I threw some honorable mentions out here because when I first started making the list, I came up with just too many names and I couldn't really delete all of them. So first one I wanted to mention was Joshua Van, 2-0 at flyweight. Flyweight, notoriously a thin division ever since the UFC intentionally thinned it out. Um, he's got a fight in the very first fight card of the year. So that means you could be seeing him fight three or four times come 2024. And at 21... With like, I mean, seemingly unlimited cardio and quick hands. He looks really good. I got Diego Lopes on there because he went two and one in the UFC, uh, only with that weird short notice loss to Mubzar Evloyev, uh, who's now a top 10 uh, featherweight. So real high potential there. Uh, the recent UFC signing has not yet made his debut. Robelis Despange. I mean, he's got three knockouts in 21 seconds in his last three fights. He seems like the kind of guy the UFC would want to rush up the ladder. But again, because we haven't seen him in the UFC, left him off the list. And I also threw in Vitor Petrino in there. Light heavyweight, notoriously a thin division. Guy's 26 and knocking people out quick. So uh, in a division that could use some challengers, why not him? All right. I like it. Let's get to the actual official top five. We'll start off with number five and count down. Uh, number five is Carlos Ulberg, nine and one as a pro, five and one in the UFC. He's a light heavyweight. Yeah. So Carlos Ulberg sits coming off of uh, the contender series at first looked like a world beater, then looked like he needed some work. And now is back to looking like he's fulfilling his potential. He's looked insanely good as of late, with the exception of that one fight where he burned out his arms fighting Kennedy and Zachuku. But, you know, he's 5-1 and one in the UFC in the light heavyweight division. He's His striking is insane. You know, he's working with those city kickboxer guys who slowly develop some very good takedown defense. You know, being a kickboxer like that with some good takedown defense... Man, sometimes that's all you need in a division like light heavyweight where, uh, I mean, like, look at the champ right now. He's a, you know, he's a great kickboxer with some decent takedown defense. So he got a fight uh, canceled that we were supposed to fight Dom Reyes, who I think we can all assume is he's going to knock him clean out. Um, but, you know, that that early year fight for him, I mean, could mean we see him three or four times. And in that division, that might be enough. Well, he also had five and one. I mean, six fights in the UFC and obviously, you know, maybe seven. He's not getting a title shot on his next one. Uh, that's not that uncommon. I mean, you know, meteoric rises were like Connor, obviously, was five to the title shot. Um, but, you know, it, it's really not that uncommon in the higher weight classes, too, because they're thinner divisions. We'll get them to number four. It's Bo Nickel. We already talked about him being on the UFC 300 card. A lot of people think of him as a very special fighter. I feel he's yet to be really tested when it comes to striking. Obviously, the wrestling is there. He's 5-0 and as a pro, 2-0 and in the UFC. Yeah, I think I would put him higher if I had faith in him as a, a fighter necessarily, but I'm with you. I'm not quite sold on what he's able to do yet, but the thing I do like about him is that the UFC seems to know how to and why to hype him. He seems to hit a particular fan base. There are people who ask me about him. You know, like I got friends who are not big UFC fans and they're like, hey, what about this Bo Nickel guy? And like that alone is enough sometimes for the UFC to rush you a little bit to a title shot. Now, they haven't so far. They're giving him Cody Brundage next, which is seemingly a smaller step up than I expected them to. But hey, who knows? If he goes out there and lets his hands fly against Cody Brundage, shows that he does have some striking, we could definitely see him make a big jump up really quick. So he'd probably be higher up if I was more confident in him, but he still deserves a spot on this list. All right, we'll move then to number three, and it's Michael Morales. He's 16-0 as a pro, and 4-0 in the UFC is the welterweight. 
The only thing holding me back from putting Michael Morales at number one, and in terms of skill, I think he should probably be there on this list, is first of all, welterweight, kind of a clusterfuck right now. We don't really necessarily know what's going on there. And then number two, being so young, they've done a really good job of slowly building him up. But the problem is they've slowly built him up and now he's beaten some guys. And I don't necessarily think they can wait too much longer before feeding him to some of those top guys in the divisions, the wonder boys, so to speak, because now he's already beating the Max Griffins of the world. And he's only 22 years old or 23 years old. I believe he's a real legitimate threat and it looks like he's got the whole package in terms of fighting. So uh, at 16 and 0, I think we could see this be a huge year for Michael Morales. All right, we're getting now to the nitty-gritty in number two, Ikram Alskarov, a 15-1 and pro, 2-0 and in the UFC. <laughs> yeah, and that 15-1 and record has a one on it only because of a regional scene loss to Kamzat Shemaev, which, like, come on now. If you're going to have one regional loss on your record coming to the UFC, it might as well be Kamzat. And he's 2-0 and since coming to the UFC. He's absolutely dismantling everybody he's fighting. Uh, his win on Contender Series, he damn near ripped that dude's arm off. Dude, I, I couldn't be higher on Ikram, uh, Ikram Aliskarov. I also think he has the added advantage of having some past history with Kamzat Chemaev. Kamzat might be very close to a middleweight title shot in the near future. Uh, if you look at the future odds, right now he's the favorite to be the UFC middleweight champion at the end of the year. And if that's the case, somebody with some bad blood with him and some past history with him certainly bodes well for jumping him up. And plus, I think he's got the talent to run up this division quickly. So yeah, Ikram Aliskarov could be also in, in, uh, in line for a big 2024. All right, and then our number one is Javed Basharat, fourteen and zero in the UFC, three and zero in the UFC, or excuse me, fourteen and zero as a pro, three and zero in the UFC is the bantamweight. He's our number one choice here from going unranked to a title shot. Yeah, I put Javed Basharat in there because look, for a while I tried to talk myself out of it because the guy uh, fights at bantamweight, and look, it's really hard to run up the the rankings at bantamweight like that. But man, he just seems to beat the hell out of everybody he fights. And granted, he's not getting a lot of finishes in his first four fights in the UFC. I know he's three in a one no contest, but he was well on his way to his fourth win against Victor Henry, too. And I think, look, I think he's just going to continue to run through guys with this mixture of insanely good striking you know, incredible top control. And he's actually got a six submission game despite not having a lot of finishes. I couldn't be higher on his skills to the point where it doesn't even matter that he's in a loaded division at Bantamweight. I think one short notice fight that gets him against the right guy, I think we're going to see this guy fighting the best of the best at Bantamweight and soon. Boom. So that wraps up this edition. We, of course, had the intern take down all the notes on this so we could come back, make fun of ourselves or slap ourselves on the back at the end of the year. But let's talk about our predictions last year. We did not get anyone that went from unranked to a title shot, but it's also worth noting no one went unranked to a title shot last year. So the divisions were pretty stable. I think with these kind of lists, these kind of predictions, or for this to even come to fruition, I want to say, you need to have some instability in the divisions. Someone goes away, a peck tear, you know, John Jones gets arrested for the 13th time. And that's how you get someone going unranked to a title shot in their meteoric rise. But that being said, it's worth bringing up our results from last year because the people we picked are certainly on track. We had Jack Della Maddalena at number five. He's been 3-0 and since the time we predicted that. He's fighting Gilbert Burns next. That is a stepping stone to a title shot. So maybe Jack Della Maddalena 
goes for a title shot within 18 months of our prediction or two years. Still pretty good. Tatsura Tayara is uh, 3-0 and since our prediction, ranked number 15. Chelsea Chandler, we take that one on the chin, 0-1 since our prediction. And then we had Bo Nickel last year. He's been 2-0. and He's obviously on the fast path to the title shot. He could certainly be someone who ends up with an unranked title shot within 18 months. And then Jelton Almeida was our number one. We certainly look to be on the money there with him. 3-0 and since we predicted that. Fighting Curtis Blades next. That's a stepping stone fight. You beat Curtis Blades, you're going to end up with a title shot. So pretty proud of those results, all things told. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm I really happy about the years, particularly at Jack Della Medellina and Jelton Almeida, because both of those guys are stepping into fights that, I mean, I think Jelton Almeida's for sure is a number one contender fight. And Jack Della Medellina is, uh, I mean, if it's not a number one contender fight, it's damn near close. And only Shavkat would kind of show him away and force him to fight one more. But if he, if he goes in there and does something impressive against Gilbert Burns, it's going to be hard to deny him too. So uh, yeah, th- those two feel the best. Uh, Nickel and Tyra, you know, they're, they're right about there for what I was hoping, but maybe moved a little slower, a little more prospecty. Uh, but Chelsea Chandler, uh, you know, that one didn't wind up so good, but that's a thin division. Who knows? She could She could bounce back. Also, we had Aaron Blanchfield on the list back in 2022 going into 2023, and it's been a bit of a slower path, but um, she's going to get her title shot this year. So that's like a 24-month unranked to title title shot. Yeah, I, I hope she does at least. You know, it's, it was kind of a bummer to see her booked in that Atlantic City fight uh, with Manol Firo, but I don't know. I think she's going to get through Manol Firo pretty easily, and that's her title shot next. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. Let us know if you think we got this list right, or if you think we royally messed it up. We're accepting both love and hate feedback at Top Turtle MMA on all the social medias. Gumby, we're having a party. Let's not let it stop. What are we doing next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Weston Wilson, who is fighting at the next UFC fight card. That's UFC Vegas 84. And that fight card comes to you January 13th. And that interview comes to you right now. All right, and joining me today is Weston Wilson, who fights Gene Silva at UFC Vegas 84. That fight is on January 13th. So, Weston, I wanted to start here. You know, you're one of the rare guys in the UFC who really put in incredible amounts of time to get there. You know, we're talking about a decade plus of fight time before you eventually got the call. So, I know we're a little ways away from you having got the call, but give us a little bit of what that felt like when when you finally did hear, you know, Weston Wilson coming to the UFC. Um, you know, it was just a, a validation of all the work and, and effort and everything that I, I've sacrificed over the years. Like, uh, I'm a little bit different than, than most fighters. Like, I don't need to fight. Like, I have a really good, um, well-paying day job. I also own my own company. Um, so, like, fighting for me isn't, isn't like a do or die to provide for my family. Um, and, and so for me, it was more about just proving to myself that I could do it and that I could make it. Um, and so finally making it uh, really was just that, that, you know, feather in the cap and, and validation that I was good enough um, and, and overcoming a lot of the, the naysayers and, and, you know, growing up and, and things like that who said that I couldn't do it and I wouldn't be able to and yada, yada, yada. So, um it was, you know, that that's what it was for me, and it was more of a legacy thing for for my kids um, and, and my future grandkids that they could, you know, see my example and know that 
you know, if there's something that's crazy outlandish that they want to do and achieve that they can do it. That's awesome to hear. Now, you know, you mentioned the naysayers in there and the people who kind of always said, you know, you're not good enough to do this or you're never going to make it. How about yourself? You know, like in this long journey, like you said, you've got a good paying job. You you don't need this monetarily. Was there ever a time where you're like, why am I still doing this? Why am I still chasing this? Yeah. Um, you know, about four years ago, I had a really bad weight cut and a really bad performance. Um, I, I shouldn't say it was a bad performance, but against Bobby King, um, I think that fight was a lot closer than, than what the judges saw. Um, cause I know I had hurt him with several shots. Um, and I, I really didn't get hurt in that fight, but, uh, you know, at, at that point I was coming off of back-to-back losses in LFA and I, you know, I was unsure and I moved out to, uh, upstate karate and, and, started training under uh, coach Ray Thompson and uh, training alongside wonder boy and coach T quickly realized that he's like, you know, you're better fighter than you let yourself believe. And uh, so he started really instilling that confidence and was like, we're going to restart your career at basically 30 years old. And uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to make it. So I was like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. Let's do it. I'll be your, your number two guy. And so we grinded away for the last four years and, and finally got that call. Well, that's a beautiful story. Now, th- that means you've been with, with them for four years now. And, and you kind of mentioned uh, – five, five years actually this week. Five uh, years. It'll be five years. That, that's yeah. awesome. So you've been with them for five years, and you kind of mentioned out the gate – the biggest thing was sort of that, that mental hurdle, right? Like the mental side of the game and believing that you are as good as you are. Is that really the biggest turnaround for your career, that piece to it? Or, or is there obviously been big physical pieces? What do you feel has kind of been the, the biggest change they've made in you? Um, I think that definitely the, the self-belief. Um, taking a step back competition-wise and, and then like working my way back up. Um, I think that, that, you know, allowed me to like relearn the game a little bit and, and, um, get used to fighting, um, frequently, uh, as well. Cause I wasn't able to like fight as frequently as, as I, I have been over the last four years. Um, so I think that was a big, a big part of it. Um, and, um, we have a, fantastic strength and conditioning coach who's like really like my body from four years ago versus today or five years ago versus today um has like really transformed like i'm a lot bigger i'm a lot more muscular i'm a lot stronger and faster and 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 so i think those things also like played a part um as well like the only thing i am negatively is older (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I don't, I don't feel like I'm older. Um, and I don't train like I'm, I'm older. Um, we, I'm just training a little bit smarter and, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think like it's just having a really solid team around me, um, of guys that have, you know, really helped build me up. Like it, it's not just me, like our, our wrestling coach, our, our, uh, you know, Coach T, Wonder Boy, uh, Wonder Boy's brother Tony, um, 
and all my teammates, like they've all, like they've all helped build me up and, and get me to where I am. And, and you, you mentioned the name wonder boy in there a couple of times. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, cause he's coming off of a fight, you know, a very exciting fight, a very tough fight against the top opponent, but also just like, he's a guy who's been in there and seen damn near everything. The guy has had a draw in a UFC title fight. What is it like to be shoulder to shoulder with a guy when, you know, not not only that level of skill, but that level of experience who's, you know, literally seen just about everything you could see in the UFC as you're coming to make, you know, this is kind of your debut, your first full camp here debut. What's it like having somebody like that by your side? Um, You know, it's, it's, it's awesome uh, getting to pick his brain, getting to, you know, uh, Wonderboy and I are, are really close friends and, um, I can like be vulnerable and be like, dude, I'm, I'm so scared. I'm like, I don't want to fight. And, and like having him like help me out and be like, oh man, I, like I get scared too. Like, it's okay. You know, like, like being able to like be honest with that and like seeing, you know, the, the process. And I've been, I've been there for fight week for the last three, three, four fights. Um, and, and so like seeing kind of how he handles it versus like how I used to handle it, like has been, has been awesome. So I think the emotional and, and mental support has been great, but then also, you know, knowing that I train with arguably one of the, the pound for pound best strikers in the UFC, um, is, is also extremely comforting because, you know, no one's going to be able to strike like he is in my weight class like nobody like there's nothing like that somebody can do striking wise that i'm going to be like oh crap i've never seen this before i've never dealt with this before you know um so i think that that gives me a a lot of confidence um and then my grappling has always been very very good i just got back from austin texas training with uh the new wave guys so john danaher and, and gary tonin and so i just spent the last like half week with them and uh, got some really good validation on, on my jujitsu as well. So um, I'm feeling actually really, really great, like getting to, to you know, train with, with Wonderboy and, and all the guys. There. So, so I want to ask you about that. So a trip down to see Donaher and Gary Tonin to, to sort of polish up and check in on, you know, where your grappling game is at. Is that – was that pre-planned? Did that change a little bit when you got the change of opponents? Like, how, how yeah, did that come 100%. about? 100%. So when the opponent changed, they didn't tell me why. They didn't tell me. All they said is, you have a new opponent, and this is who it is. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and so once that opponent changed, I talked to Coach T, and I was like, hey, look, I think this guy is, is even more of a striker than my last opponent. I don't think he's really, like, grappled a whole lot in his fights. Um, not that, like, I, I can't stand and strike with the kid either. Um, and so my buddy actually uh, trains out in New Wave, and one of my teammates was going to be out there anyways. And so I was like, look, I'm not going to come home from Vegas after Steven's fight. I'm just going to go straight to Austin. So Steven fought. I didn't even stay for the co-main event or the main event. Uh, I literally, I left the arena, packed my bag. Uh, so I left the arena from 296, packed my bag, got an Uber, and uh, got caught a flight to Austin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and and so I literally I flew to Austin that night. So Saturday night I I flew into Austin. Well, I'll tell you, you didn't you didn't miss much at least with the main event. No nobody really was too bummed out at missing that. But I I gotta ask too. So you you know you you'd see the opponent change. You know that he doesn't. You know like he he, he prefers not to grapple. Is it sort of that cut and dry? I mean, I don't want to give away your game plan here, but is it that cut and dry kind of how you see this fight? This guy is a striker. He's not much else. That's where my advantage is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look at it that way. Um, I, I always go in with like a loose game plan, but whether I follow it or not is, you know, here or there. Uh, I'm confident like in my skills everywhere. Um, and Coach T's confident where I go. And so we kind of have this, like, laissez-faire, you know, approach. And, and this has been, the, you know, for the past, shoot, I don't know, 12 fights I've had with him is, is just, like, go in there and, and you know, be, be smart and beat him wherever the fight goes. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, push for the fight to stay on the feet. I'm not going to push for the fight to go on the ground, like, We'll just kind of see where the fight goes. Like we have in our mind what we we want to do and and what we're gonna do. Like I know what I'm gonna do and strike when we strike and and how I'm gonna move and maneuver. And then I know how I'm gonna move and maneuver on the ground. Um. But yeah, like I I don't think like I don't I don't know like I don't. There's only been like a couple fights where like I planned it out. Like okay, I'm gonna come in. I'm gonna pump my jab a little bit. Then I'm gonna look to go to the ground immediately. Like there's only been like one or two fights that I've ever like done that everywhere else it's like ah uh, i'll just beat i'll just beat the guy wherever i beat him and that's like literally what i go into the fight <laughs> well I, I like that but i will tell you it kind of spoils my last question here because i always like to wrap these things up with asking for a prediction so if you're telling me it's pretty laissez-faire and you'd like to pretty much do whatever you do it almost seems futile for me to ask you this question but how you see well, this well <laughs> i'll tell you this way it'll, it'll either be it'll be I'll be surprised if we go to the judges' scorecard. Uh, he doesn't go to the judges' scorecard often. I don't go to the judges' scorecard often. So one of us is getting finished. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Weston Wilson, who fights Gene Silva at UFC Vegas 84. That fight once again, January 13th. Weston, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it, Dan. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Game of Heart Hydration. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then. <laughs>